It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner, and uh, today is Holocaust Remembrance Day. Now, it's been long enough now that that's not one of those things that we have a big cookout about, but it, I, I saw it on the calendar, and I thought, I'm going to look in the archives and see what I've got. And to my surprise and delight, I had some really interesting conversations with people over the last few years that really sort of tie into remembering the Holocaust, starting um, with uh, Deborah Dashmore from the University of Michigan. She is a uh, professor in Jewish history and and, uh, culture, and uh, we're going to talk about uh, her take on, on the Holocaust and remembering the Holocaust. Also, we're going to talk with uh, Bernice Lerner. She the book All the Horrors of War, and it talks about the uh, liberation of uh, two of the camps. Heather Morris also talks about the camps, as does Susan McClellan in in her book. Um, Amy Briggs from National Geographic shares with us the um, Atlas of World War II history from from National Geographic and uh, fascinating conversation but we've really got it jam-packed it's uh, you know five five guests all uh, all jammed together so it should be uh, it should be a pretty uh, pretty interesting show and um, and it does talk about some of the reasons why we remember these historical dates and events anyway stay tuned we got lots of uh, Memories to share. Old-fashioned radio For a new generation TomSumnerProgram.com TomSumnerProgram.com from the Tom Sumner Show. Oh, yeah. 
welcome back, everybody. Uh, this is the Tom Sumner Program, and uh, my guest this hour has been on the show before to talk about her role as editor-in-chief of the Posen Library of Jewish Culture and Civilization. She is uh, also a professor of history and Judaic studies at the University of Michigan, and we're going to talk about something a little different. We're going to talk about uh, uh, Holocaust Remembrance Day which uh, is coming up tomorrow. Um, anyway, uh, Deborah Dashmore joins me by phone. Hi, Deborah. Welcome back. It's good to talk to you again. It's really nice to be back. Thanks, Tom. Um, how long has Holocaust Remembrance Day been around? Well, uh, it was a day that was chosen by the European um, uh, Union, uh, so it hasn't been around um, that long. Uh, I mean, it's decades, uh, clearly. Um, people have a different sense of time. Uh, it, uh, it was chosen because uh, this was the day that the uh, Soviet forces uh, liberated Auschwitz in January of 45, uh, as the war is, is finally winding down. And uh, Auschwitz came to stand in for all of the concentration camps, for, for all of the death camps. Uh, it was huge, and it included both labor as well as uh, just murder facilities. Uh, and this seemed by the Europeans to be the, the best day to, to be uh, observing uh, the Holocaust, the Holocaust Remembrance Day. It, it's not the same day as um, uh, Israelis and, and Jews uh, observe. Um, they chose a date um, based on the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising, which had taken place in 1943 in April. In fact, just the, at the very beginning of the Passover holiday, on the eve of the Passover holiday. And so for Jews, uh, that made a more powerful connection because the holiday of Passover celebrates the exodus out of Egypt. And so you're celebrating liberation um, and even though the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising obviously was uh, did not mark the end of the Holocaust by any means, it, it went on for well over another year and a half of of murder of, of European Jews. But it it was a very visible uh, example of Jews um, uh, with limited arms fighting back against uh, the Germans. How, um, boy, there are so many things that I want to ask you, Deborah. My mind is just <laughs> swirling. Um, but, but let's talk about Holocaust awareness. Um, when we, when we think of Holocaust remembrance, um, there's, as you and I have discussed, uh, briefly before, there are people who, have tried to rewrite history as if uh, the concentration camps didn't really happen. How is it, how important is it to have a day like Holocaust Remembrance Day simply for awareness? 
I think it's very important for awareness. Um, and so in that sense, um, whether you pick a date based on the liberation of Auschwitz or a date based on the, the Warsaw Ghetto uprising, um, in, in that sense, it doesn't matter. Uh, people who are called, they're called Holocaust deniers, um, uh, falsify history and they, they falsify history, uh, because they want to glorify, um, uh, the murder of millions of Jews. Um, and, uh, they, that is to say, by denying that it happened, they want to, um, make the anti-Semitism that was behind that murder, that fueled those um, murders uh, seem um, not very important, right? Um, one of the things we recognize with Holocaust remembrance is what hatred um, and anti-Semitism can produce, uh, and that's really crucial uh, to remember that. You know, Auschwitz and a couple of uh, other camps are fairly well known, but how many camps were there in all? Oh my gosh, that's a good question. Um, there are tons. <laughs> and, and I'm not um, trying to put you on the spot, dozens. I just thought that yeah, was a number yeah. you might know. I, I don't know the actual number. Uh, I do know that if you look at a map um, of uh, Germany, Poland, you know, Eastern Europe, uh, that has the camps. It's just stunning. The, the numbers they, they just dot the, the map all, all over the place. Uh, so there were many, many camps of various kinds, right? Because there were concentration camps that were, uh, slave labor camps. Um, there were a smaller number of concentration camps that just murdered people, um, like Treblinka or Sobibor. Uh, there were concentration camps that had just female population. Um, it, it was, it, it was an extraordinary, complex, massive network of, um, exploitation and death. When the Russians, um, pulled into Auschwitz and liberated that camp, did was that the mission they were on, or did they discover it on their way to somewhere else? Uh, it, it was the second one, Tom. They discovered it on the way to somewhere else, and that was generally true for most of, of the uh, military liberation of the of the camps. I I wrote a, a book on um, the experiences of Jewish GIs in in World War Two. And, you know, the ones who liberated the camps all said, you know, the first thing we, we sensed that was something wrong was the smell. It was the smell mm. of the stench of death. Yeah. And it was powerful around, you know, for, for miles around. And as they would get closer, they're trying to figure out what, what, where are they, you know, going? What, what, what are they going to, to see? So uh, these were not military targets, no. And the issue of who knew what and when is one that's historically been treated uh, maybe a little more delicately than it should have. How is it possible that that many camps uh, 
were unknown um, either to the the people who lived near those camps, uh, the German <laughs> people in Germany, but but even to the Allied forces and their intelligence gathering uh, units. So that's a complex question. These camps were known to the people who lived nearby. The, the, they knew about them. You couldn't not just uh, just the smell, as I'm saying. You know, the the the, the whole area stank from from these camps. Um, the issue about the Allies, they knew about the camps. Um, there were Hitler was pursuing two wars, one a war against the Jews and the other a war of conquest of Europe. And the Allies fighting back were fighting uh, the second war, that is, they were fighting Hitler's conquest of Europe. Um, That was the war they were pursuing. They were not fighting against Hitler's war uh, against the Jews. And that, I think, is what makes it complicated, um, so that uh, although the Germans were, were willing to um, take valuable um, uh, military supplies, like trains and stuff, and divert them in order to, to murder Jews, right, to put Jews into them, rather than using them for troop movements and stuff to, to fight that war against um, other Europeans, the, the, uh, against the Russians, and, um, and later after D-Day against uh, Allied troops in Europe, uh, Americans and Brits. Uh, the Americans, the Allies and Brits, were not willing um, to, let's say, divert uh, airplanes that were, were flying um, right by Auschwitz to, to drop bombs uh, either on the camp or on the rail facilities um, uh, heading up there. Um, you know, recently uh, a colleague of mine wrote a, a really lovely piece in commemoration of one of the um, uh, flyers, uh, African-American flyers of the Tuskegee um, Air yeah. uh, Group. Yeah, and um, they flew uh, defensively, right, uh, to protect the the bombers uh, right by Auschwitz. Um, And had it been decided that it was going to be a a, a target, that one one should drop some bombs there to let... um, uh, to to send a message, as it were, um, to the... the, uh, Germans, uh, they could have done it. Um, Elie Wiesel, who I think you, you know, you well-known figure, survivor of Auschwitz, uh, recalls in his memoir what the bombings of camps that were, were uh, well, really um, supply places that were nearby uh, Auschwitz when that happened and how excited they were to, to know that the... Um, the Allies had planes and were were bombing. Yeah. More about Holocaust Remembrance Day 
with Deborah Dash Moore from the University of Michigan and the Posen Library of Jewish Culture and Civilization is straight ahead. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-Double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Lions. Dan Sterling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annanick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I'm willing to admit that. Hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all always. It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a kind and check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County. Where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Hi, I'm State Representative Sarah Anthony. Our community and communities across the country are seeing a rise in gun violence. 
Firearm injuries are one of the leading causes of death among children. Parents, it is your responsibility to know where your firearm is at all times. First, lock your gun away somewhere safe. Also, make sure that it is disassembled and unloaded. It's up to us to prevent gun violence in our community. This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More about Holocaust Remembrance Day with Deborah Dash Moore from the University of Michigan and the Posen Library of Jewish Culture and Civilization is straight ahead. Deborah, um, this is actually kind of a two-part question. Um, the, the, the first part is, why is it important to remember the Holocaust, and then, and then, part two is um, if if the answer to part one is to learn from the horrors of the past, um, how is it that it seems that in today's political climate we haven't learned from the horrors of the past? Oh gosh! Um, so you're right. the The answer is to learn from the horrors of the past uh, so that we don't repeat them, right? Um, And one of the things that the Posen Library of Jewish Culture and Civilization does is it offers um, people access, uh, especially in the the online version, which you can um, register for free and and you have access to these incredible... um, uh, pieces of of writing, of reflection, of art, of resistance um, that Jews produced uh, during the war and uh, after the war, uh, survivors produced uh, as means of uh, holding on to the memory and also as a means of trying to learn from what the experience was. so that it wouldn't happen again. Um, Among the things that you discover in the Posen Library of Jewish Culture and Civilization is this belief that there's a conscience of the world. And I think that um, while Jews held on to this belief, they were later sorely um, uh, disappointed that there didn't really seem to be a conscience of the world, right, that, that would m- motivate um, governments to try to rescue people. And I think that, uh, unfortunately, is still true. Um, there, we don't have a conscience uh, of the world, and um, the horrors of the past um, keep on recurring in part because of this lack of, of commitment to um, decency and humanity uh, instead of uh, a lust for, for power and an embrace of hatred. You know, you mentioned the Tuskegee Airmen, and I had a couple of uh, Tuskegee Airmen on my show over the last few years, but... There are few, if any, left now, and yes, that's that's, right. that's true of um, 
survivors of the camps and and really uh, uh, veterans who served in the in the units that liberated camps around Germany and and surrounding countries. Um, as we lose people that had a direct connection, is it harder now to uh, keep that that memory uh, intact and and recorded? Well, I think we've been very fortunate to have recordings, that is, interviews with many survivors. So we do have documentation uh, that way and um, it's a mediated experience but it is an experience that lets you um, hear the voices and learn directly from uh, survivors but you're absolutely right whether it's World War II uh, vets um, or uh, Holocaust survivors uh, there are very few of them and and uh, you know more and more of them are, are well as are time dying, marches on as time yeah. marches on of course you know they're, they're becoming old and and passing away and and we're losing yeah. that direct connection that's correct we are um but we we do have um recorded interviews we do have uh, writings. Um, the Posen Library of Jewish Culture and Civilization has some amazing uh, writings by by survivors uh, that are, are poetry and and uh, religious thought and just beautiful stuff. And so that I think is what is going to be available to people um, as as we move forward. Deborah, I, I have to ask just just for listeners who maybe didn't hear us talk before when when we were focused on the Posen Library of Jewish Culture and Civilization. Um, it I think when you were on the show before you had just um, released or were about to release Volume Ten. Oh, that was a while ago. Yes. So uh, yeah, I think it was pre-pandemic, Deborah. <laughs> That's how that's how we pandemic. that's how we judge time now. <laughs> you're right. You're right. So we have now five volumes. Half of the the library. It's a ten volume set uh, a, a anthology of of sources, all translated into English. And ten of the ten, five have been published. So one of them includes, in fact, the uh, the earliest volume, volume one, which covers the biblical period. Um, and that has fascinating material in it, too. But m- most of the other ones um, are from the modern period, starting in 1750, um, uh, up through 2005, um, with a, a gap around uh, the turn of the century, between 1880 and 1918. And it's almost basically... Almost the 20th century. You yeah. know, it's, it's, it's called the Posen Library, but... It it is essentially um, uh, almost like a set of encyclopedias, a complete it, history. I, Tom, I I call it more a um, an anthology. Okay, because All it's right. original sources. 
the so that's why I sort of kept emphasizing you you get to hear the actual voices as it were of what people wrote um uh, and so it's it's a, more of an anthology um that, it's that, not, that's a, yeah. a much better way to put it Deborah thank you for that for that correction but I was trying to give the impression that it was a number of volumes a, a collection yeah. of uh, mm-hmm. of things it 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 wasn't just simply uh, another book about World War II or a book right. about uh, Jewish history. Right, that's correct. That's correct. Yeah, it's it's multi-volume, and on the website there are well over three thousand um, selections uh, entries that that have you know uh, of these different sources. Uh, so it's it, it covers. Far more than just um, World War Two, yes, or the Holocaust. Uh, now, is this an ongoing? You said it, it, it runs up through two thousand five. Is it is it an ongoing? Will there be more uh, pieces added uh, to beyond two thousand five, or is most well, of the work now still filling in? In between, it's filling in. Yeah, it's filling in because we have commitments, you know, volumes two, three, four, and five. We have to, <laughs> we have to get those out, right? Um, and they cover, you know, the the uh, medieval period, and early modern, and, you know, those are really interesting periods, too. Um, very, you know, very rich uh, area. Two, volume two deals with what is known as the rabbinic era. Um, and you know you, you can't have Jewish culture and civilization without the rabbis. <laughs> is is there a a a race on Earth with longer or as long a history as Jews? Oh gosh, um, I wouldn't call them a race. Uh, well, well, I for I lack say, of a better word, Deborah, forgive okay. me. I didn't. Let's use the word people, okay? <laughs> well, or culture. A long and culture, yes, yes. So I think you know one of the things that's sort of extraordinary about Jewish culture and Jewish people are the connections that are made. Um, you, you you have Greek culture, for example, um, but ancient Greek is very different from modern Greek, um, and it's it's not like they're able to talk to each other. Whereas uh, um, contemporary Jews can, in essence, sort of talk to the ancient Israelites uh, because their Hebrew and today's Hebrew is pretty close you know you can sit down and and read that uh bible um if you if you know modern hebrew and i think that that's what's truly amazing is this ongoing conversation that jews keep having with those who came before uh them Uh, and it's sort of built into the culture, the, the, the discussion, the argumentation. Uh, you know, you have in, in uh, Talmud debates, and it, it, even though they'll say, well, we go with the majority rule, um, they give you the minority voice. And uh, later on, it, it may happen that 
some Jews will come along and say, you know, I think the minority was right. <laughs> and, and things start to change. So that's what's really extraordinary, is that Jews keep on engaging with um, what's there in the past, arguing, reinterpreting, uh, claiming it for themselves in, in different ways. That's what's really unusual. Now, as we mentioned uh, earlier, Deborah, tomorrow is Holocaust Remembrance Day, January 27th, uh, 2022. And I, I, I guess what I'm wondering is, are there uh, special recognitions and things that happen in the U.S. and, and in Europe sure. to commemorate the day? Oh, yes. There, so definitely there are special moments. Um, uh, usually there are... Um, uh, convenings, um, uh, memorial uh, services. Uh, there are various uh, monuments uh, that have been built uh, to help remember, uh, to remind people, and uh, often uh, there are formal gatherings there. Uh, I'm sure you will find in, in the news tomorrow reports of these in, in Europe, uh, as well as their they will be uh, here in the States also, yes. Um, These usually, in fact, um, in the States, it, it, it's, uh, it, it has in the past been held in the capital rotunda, um, and I, I'm not sure if it will happen again tomorrow, but yes. I, I don't know why, but I just I imagined that... Uh, that a focal point might be in New York. Ah, well, you know, there is a um, Museum of Jewish Heritage um, in New York City down in lower Manhattan. It um, actually overlooks where the Statue of Liberty is, and there certainly will be um, a, a gathering there as well. Uh, but because of the U.S. Holocaust Museum um, in D.C., the United States has often um, done its its formal uh, political um, acknowledgement of the day in the Capitol Rotunda. One of the functions of um, the the Posen Library of Jewish Culture and Civilization has got to be um, a, a resource for parents and teachers who want to. Uh, teach young people about things mm -hmm. that they hear about but maybe don't learn very much about other than looking to resources like the the Posen Library. Um, is is that the the best place to start for parents and, and teachers who maybe would like to see their children learn more about Jewish culture and civilization but but also uh, in in view of Holocaust Remembrance Day, about the Holocaust itself, and how do we how do we teach such um, a, a, a subject that that has built into it such horror? So that's a great question, Tom. And one of the things that we've done at the Posen Library, Jewish Culture and Civilization, is we've created some short teaching clips. Um, there are three to five minute videos, also for free. Um, and we have one, for example, um, on resistance during the Holocaust. 
And I think that's a, a really nice place to start. It's um, it's a, a, a done by Professor Sam Kassau, uh, who is the co-editor of Volume 9. And he speaks there about different modes of resistance to um, oppression. Um, one, of course, is that of, of fighting back uh, physically. But there's also um, the writing of, of poetry as a form of resistance culture and um, religious, a spiritual uh, culture that he describes. Um, it, if we have time, my, one of my most uh, uh, powerful um, uh, accounts is the piece of poetry because it's a um, poem that was written by a, a Polish Jewish woman who had been hiding um, on the Aryan side, as it was called then, and she's betrayed to the Nazis by her uh, landlady. And she writes a poem about the betrayal. She's murdered uh, as a result of the betrayal. And she, she, this poem, she reflects on, so what's the landlady going to get, right? She's going to have some small numbers of clothes that she had. She, she imagines her landlady rifling through her stuff, and she names her landlady. And at the end of the war, um, there are trials. And this woman who betrayed her is put on trial, and the poem is brought as testimony against her. And she's convicted. And I think that is that's something you know you can teach to children, right? Um, it's it's important uh, for them to learn. Yeah. My guest is Deborah Dash Moore. She is the editor in chief of the uh, Posen Library of Jewish Culture and Civilization. She's all, she also teaches history and uh, um, Judaic studies at the University of Michigan. Um, Deborah, will you be participating in in remembrances uh, tomorrow? Yes, but here at the university. Yes, at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. Yeah, right. Um, and and are, are those events that that you have have helped to bring about and and uh, uh, host or facilitate in in some way? Actually, not this year, um, although I have in the past, um, but uh, there, you know, COVID really upsets everything, and I think that yeah. this, everything is going to be, um, you know, available remotely. Um, in the past, we used to gather physically and um, read the names of um, uh, people who, who were murdered and uh, all the students, you know, and, and uh, faculty and, and staff, we, we would all take turns reading, reading names. Um, it, would, it would go on, obviously, for many, many hours. I, yeah, I was going to ask about that. You know, yeah. I, that's that's fairly common in remembrances. I know um, I, mm -hmm. I have some some acquaintances who participate regularly in remembrances of the Edmund Fitzgerald, which in Michigan we know mm -hmm. a lot about. Um, but it, it's a lot different when you have a, a group of um, uh, 
surviving children or, or something, reading names of people um, from a shipwreck. And and when you look at, at the victims of, of World War II, and especially the the death camps, estimated at, at 6 million, and I'm sure there are lots of numbers to go around, but how do you... How do you divide up and tackle a list of that magnitude? Is it done in in uh, different uh, in different different sections in different cities? I mean, how how do you how do you yes, do that yes. without going on for a week? Right, right. No, it it is divided up, and you know, of course, um, uh, it, the the power of reading names, as as you're well aware, is um, to to recall the individuality of each, each of one was a person, right? And, um, and and that's why one does that. But yes, uh, the the actual number of, of you know which cluster of, of names one chooses is is uh, divided up. Well, Deborah, it it's a pleasure to talk with you again, and it's. Uh, and, and I feel each time as as though you are so knowledgeable. I feel like we're just scratching the surface of the things that we that we could get into and talk about. But I appreciate you taking some time to talk with me and the listeners, uh, and and to um, and and to remind us about this event uh, tomorrow, the um, Holocaust Remembrance Day, January twenty seventh. Um, Deborah, I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can go to to dig down a little deeper and find out more. Um, what is the website for the Posen Library? Sure. So the website is called Posen Library. That's P O S E N Library, one word. dot com, and go there, register for free, and then you know go and. Type in the word Holocaust, <laughs> and you'll see what, what pops up. You'll have a, a lot of different choices. Um, it, it's a great way to, uh, uh, to learn about Jewish culture and civilization as a way of responding and memorializing all those who were murdered during the Holocaust. Deborah, do you have a, a website where people might learn more about you and your work, past, present, and future? I do. It's at the University of Michigan, and probably the easiest way to find it is to type in my name as a single um, word, Deborah Dash Moore. Um, uh, it's because it's an it's an LSA, you know, University of Michigan site. Um, gotcha. Well, Deborah, thanks, and uh, um, keep up the good work. Well, thank you very much. It was really great to talk, Tom. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Deborah Dashmore is the editor-in-chief of the Posen Library of Jewish Culture and Civilization. She's also a professor of history and professor of Judaic studies at the University of Michigan. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. Old-fashioned radio 
new generation. Tom Sumner Program.com. Tom Sumner Program.com. The Tom Sumner Program.com. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed. It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, file a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 14th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community Schools. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Long Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan. Quick Technology. My Community College. It's Pure Michigan. 
friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner program. And welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My uh, guest this hour is um, a senior scholar at Boston University's Center for Character and Social Responsibility. She has offered, authored uh, rather several books, including her new book called All the Horrors of War, A Jewish Girl, a British Doctor, and the Liberation of Bergen-Belsen. And she joins me now by phone. Her name is Bernice Lerner. Bernice, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Tom. I, you know, I this is going to sound a little bit silly, considering how serious a topic is covered in this uh, in this book. But when I see the book cover and I see the line "A Jewish girl, a British doctor," it always sounds like one of those things. Walk into a bar. <laughs> And, and and I don't and I don't mean to make light of it, but that, that was the first thing across my mind: a Jewish girl, a British doctor, walk into a bar. And uh, but that's not at all what happened. This is actually the tale of a uh, Jewish girl who was, in fact, your mother. Um, yes. And uh, her name was uh, Rachel Ganuth. Am I pronouncing that right? Yes. Um, and and then a uh, a British doctor and their different paths that converged at Bergen Belsen. Now there's something about Bergen Belsen I've been trying to remember uh, this morning. It, wasn't it somewhat adjacent to one of the other camps, or or close by in close proximity to to Buchenwald or or Auschwitz? No. Um, I don't think so. I mean, there were there were probably thousands. There were thousands of camps. But what you might be thinking of is Auschwitz was in Poland, and Auschwitz had um, three three camps that were near each other. That and that might be what of, I'm thinking of. of. Yeah, yeah. Auschwitz and Birkenau. Auschwitz Birkenau. And That's what Auschwitz it was. It was Birkenau. That's why the name Bergen Belsen was uh, uh, ringing a bell. Uh, but speaking yeah. of of remembering those places and the horrors that that took place there um, in those camps, why is it important to continue to to gather and and collect information and tell the stories of that period of history? Oh, it's a really important period of history. It. It was one of the, the worst time almost. It was probably the worst time in human history. I mean, people were killed. It, it was the largest genocide. It was just, it was just a horrible, horrible time. I mean, six million Jews were killed. 
Um, there were Roma and Sinti who were killed. I mean, just because of who they were or who they were born. It was, and the concentration camps were hell. And it's important to know the history and know what happened and know what human beings are capable of. Um, this and Auschwitz and, yeah, I'm it, sorry. You know, go ahead, Bernice, I didn't want to cut you off. Well, I just, I also just wanted to make the distinction between a place like Auschwitz and a place like Bergen-Belsen, because people may not realize Auschwitz became very famous because more than 1.1 million people died in that camp alone, and that was where the industrialized men, the killing of people was industrialized and perfected so that so many people could be killed so quickly in gas chambers. And Bergen-Belsen was a little bit of a different story, very different story, because Bergen-Belsen had been, uh, had morphed over time. It had been a POW camp and a camp for exchange prisoners, and it had morphed at the end of the war into the largest dumping ground for people who had already survived so much. So people who had survived a place like escape, you know, uh, the gas chambers in Auschwitz or in at certain other horrible places or in terrible ghettos. And then they were worked in slave labor camps, and then they were put on a death march, and then they were dumped at the end of the war when they were ravaged and war ravaged and thin and emaciated in many cases and diseased. They were just deposited in this camp. There were other camps, too, of course, that the liberators stumbled upon, but Bergen-Belsen was the largest, so there were about 60,000 prisoners there when the British got there. And they were, and people were, I mean, epidemics were raging, people were really sick, and people were dying, and dying was the norm. So you had someone like Anne Frank, she died probably early in March at the end of February, in March, 17,000 people just died in this place. So, and, and they had, there was no, there were no gas chambers operating. So you just had the dead and dying lying everywhere in the camp. Now, your book has the distinction of being the first book, uh, and there are lots of stories about Holocaust victims and survivors. Uh, but this is the, um, the first book to pair the story of a Holocaust victim or a, a survivor with that of one of the liberators. How did you, yeah. how, how did you, I, I mean, it's obvious you wanted to tell your mother's story, of course, but how did you come across this this uh, British doctor? How, how did that become part of the story you, you wanted to tell? Well, it, it all came from the question of how did my mother survive? She was four, 15 years old then, and she had fall, she had fallen unconscious, um, and she was very very sick. She was one of the people who easily could have wound up in the mounds of the dead, and I she couldn't remember really what happened to her at the very end of the war, and I so I started to really look into the details of the liberation, like how was she actually saved? And the man most prominently associated with the liberation was this man, Glenn Hughes. He was deputy director of medical services for the British Second Army. And they stumbled upon this camp. It was actually handed over to them by the Germans. 
and he was responsible for the rescue and relief. And so I got really interested in who was he and what was going on for him at the time. And I start, I looked into him. I tried to figure out, was he biography worthy? And he turned out to be this amazing character that people hadn't known about. Like, have you heard of Oscar Schindler? Do you know well, of course. A movie? Yes. So he's kind of that kind of a figure because he was very empathetic and caring and he and he tried to save as many people as he could with very limited resources so he became very interesting to me and I started to really research his life and then I I told I decided to tell a dual biography about him and my mother in the last year of the war and interesting how you um, portray how they got to the camp and then ultimately intersected um, your mother yeah. was 15 when she got to Bergen-Belsen, but she'd been other places already in her young life. Yes, she was deported to Auschwitz when she was 14 with her family. And um, only she and her sister survived. She never saw her parents again after arriving in Auschwitz and her four younger siblings and her grandmother. Yeah, Was she comfortable talking about her experiences and her memories from from then she was yes to me she was um yeah we had a very unusual kind of give and take because you didn't often see that among survivors and their children survivors you know it was very painful it was a very painful thing and horrible horrible memories so sometimes you had cases where survivors didn't, either didn't want to talk, they didn't want to share that that part of their lives, or their children who were a little bit afraid to ask. But we had a, an unusual dynamic, and I, from a young age, I would ask her questions. And she had had a post-war life because she had been so young during the Holocaust. And many, most Holocaust survivors, those who survived, were older. Um, the vast majority were in their 20s and 30s. They were strong and young and could work for the Nazi war effort. She was very young. She was just a kid. So she had 10 post-war years to sort of have her nightmares before she got married and had children. And then by the time I was a teenager, she still could remember and tell me so much. She still remembers to this day. She's 90 now. And we always, we always talk about, you know, what happened. It was such a trauma. And, um, yeah, so first she would talk to me, and only, I would say, in the last 10 years has she spoken publicly a lot about it to school groups. More with author Bernice Lerner about her book, All the Horrors of War, straight ahead. Maybe, but it's a welcome. 
pilots, get off of my lawn. We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here. <laughs>